Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Melvin, and thinking is hard. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that encourages and equips Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, Daniel and I will discuss Suzanne Johnson's To All the Boys I've Loved Before. This movie was chosen by the lovely patrons who support Cinematic Doctrine with a small monthly donation. For as little as $3, you too can have the opportunity to vote for a movie we review or discuss at the end of each month by joining Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. A link will be available in the show notes. Out of the last few discussion episodes we've had here on Cinematic Doctrine, I must say going through this episode was a real treat. Prepping for this episode was a little difficult, as the few discussion points we approached with To All the Boys I've Loved Before seemed as though they wouldn't spark any worthwhile or meaty discussions. Now, I say that, and that's after we did a discussion episode on Sonic the Hedgehog, so maybe I'm just being a little ridiculous. Even so, we walked away from this episode discussing the clever creativity present within To All the Boys I've Loved Before, our high school experience and what makes high school romantic comedies relatable despite their hyperbole, and most interestingly, our thoughts on dating as Christians. This led to what might be my favorite discussion on the podcast so far, as it heads into the importance of learning to express oneself romantically while remaining biblically appropriate, discussing the importance of building a foundation for relationships to encourage healthy decision-making, and how these thoughts and opinions on dating are largely counterculture to the modern American Christian lifestyle that kissed dating goodbye. All in all, my worries were pointless, and this episode turned out some extremely interesting and thought-provoking content. All that said, let's give you a quick synopsis, content warning, and drop those call-to-actions so you can dive into this episode proper. Laura Jean is a romantic. Well, no, she's more of an academic. But she'd like to be a romantic, and she reads her romance novels with an unrequited passion. You see, she loves her sister's boyfriend, Josh. It's all well and good. Lara Jean isn't going to ask him out even if they break up, but that doesn't change the fact that she'd been his friend for years before Margot ever started dating Josh. It just took for Margot to date Josh for Lara Jean to realize her true feelings. So, she wrote a love letter and tucked it away in a box she keeps in her closet. In that box are four other letters she's written over her life, each letter written to an unrequited love she's had, a romance never meant to be, but always wanted. Signed, dated, and tucked away neatly in their own little envelopes, she intends to store those letters for years to come and fancy away with her romance novels. That is until one bizarre day at school when Peter Kavinsky, a strapping jock type of a teenager, approaches her on the track field. Can we talk? he asks. Laura Jean is surprised. Why would Peter want to talk to her? Isn't he dating Jen, LJ's ex-friend who can't even stand her anymore? I'm flattered, but I just broke up with Jen, Peter says. I don't think I can date anyone right now. Date anyone? Laura Jean is confused. Why would Peter think she wanted to date him? Then she realizes something. There's a piece of paper in his hand, and it looks eerily like an envelope she's signed and dated. And not only that, Josh is in the distance, walking with a determined step toward the two of them, and holding something similar. Oh no, is that another envelope? How did they get out? Weren't they in her closet? 
junior year just got so much harder. To All the Boys I've Loved Before is rated TV-14. It doesn't have a detailed certificate, so here's a Melvin certificate. Mild sexual references and language. The mild sexual references are due to a few jokes that aren't nearly as crass as other high school rom-coms usually get. In fact, they're either cleverly used or not used at all. Most of the time it's natural, like a parent awkwardly encouraging against anything sexual during a party. It's more fun than it is crass, hyperbolizing the awkwardness of it all. There's also passionate kissing, but you can pretty much expect that from a romantic comedy. And lastly, there's a scene based on Sixteen Candles where a character has their hand in the back pants pocket of another character. The language is throughout, with things only getting as vulgar as the S-word maybe once or twice. There is also a fair amount of uses of the Lord's name in vain. That's something to be aware of. Also, it's important for me to mention, as this is a Christian podcast after all, but a character expresses to be a homosexual. It's neither tokenism nor is it flaunted. It's simply a character trait. Even so, this may upset a few listeners, so it's important for us to share this information. Now, before we head into our To All the Boys I've Loved Before discussion, I wanted to share real quick that if you come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Apart from that, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a website for independent content creators to raise support for their work. By creating an account on Patreon, you select a content creator you like and support them with a monthly donation. If you enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, consider donating, as it helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. And, as a bonus, if you support Cinematic Doctrine for as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss or review on the podcast, just like this one. You also gain access to the Sindoc Pre-Show, a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. And one last thing, Cinematic Doctrine's mailbag is now open. As long as you're following us on any of our social media, from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or are part of the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, you can submit questions or comments for Daniel and I to chew on in each monthly movie news episode. Either find the specified mailbag post, or send us a direct message through our social media. Or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com with the header reading mailbag. Don't be afraid to submit whatever you want to the mailbag, and we'll be sure to pick the best questions and comments to talk about each month. Without further ado, here's our thoughts on To All the Boys I've Loved Before. So, teen dramas, high school romances, what's not to love? I mean, everything about the sentence you just said, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I don't know. They're easy to consume. <laughs> so. That's true. It isn't exactly like challenging material necessarily. Because I really like challenging material, and I know you do too. Right. But then on the other side of the spectrum is teen dramas that make no sense sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, this is great. I love this. <laughs> you know who doesn't like challenging films? Who? Donald Trump. Have you heard about his movie watching habits? I, I know about his... um the Oscar snub that he was so disappointed about, but I think he's a, I think <laughs> like, he's a couple decades too late for that. Oscar yeah. snub. 
but um <laughs> which that that story actually is what prompted me to like revisit some of these but someone did a profile and like his favorite movie is Bloodsport the Jean-Claude Van Damme you, you don't know what Bloodsport is no oh man uh Jean-Claude Van Damme movie about a fictitious fighting tournament called the Kumite and it's all based on a book written by a guy named Frank Dukes who's a fraud like he made the claim that like he beat a hundred men in one night in a tournament, which mathematically is like impossible for stuff. But yeah, he's he's this guy who claims that he was trained to be a ninja from birth or something like that, and then he claimed he's in the CIA and all this stuff, and then all that was disproven. Anywho, it's it is a Jean Claude Van Damme movie where he's in a fighting tournament. If that sounds similar to Mortal Kombat, it's because Mortal Kombat actually started out as a video game adaptation of that movie before they didn't get the rights to the movie. That's why Johnny Cage is looks and sounds a lot like Jean-Claude Van Damme and why he does the splits is actually because he was initially supposed to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is a lot of trivia that doesn't have anything to do with the movie we're talking about. But on top of <laughs> this movie being Donald Trump's favorite movie, the guy who wrote this article claims that when he was on the plane with him, Donald Trump had a, had an aide fast forwarding through all the talking parts to, just to get to all the fight scenes. <laughs> hey, he had somebody else fast forward. <laughs> I know. He couldn't even do it. He, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't even look at this. Fast forward it. <laughs> Which I mean, fair is fair. The dialogue in that movie is not exactly like scintillating. Like I wasn't like, oh, did David Mamet write this? But still, it's just like, come on, man. The movie's only like an hour and a half already. Like, so do you think Donald Trump would like to all the boys? No. <laughs> Bummer. I don't think he would. I don't. Well, at least that keeps it pure. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> Keep him Start, away. Starting off divisive. Any, anything anything going on with you, though? Anything new? Yeah, so this has been a crazy week, and, and I was going to wait until our monthly movie news to talk about it because it's sort of just an irony to the fact that there's, you know, a massive plague going on. So this was, so this was our first week being home for qu- quarantine or whatever. It's not really quarantine, but everybody's calling it that, so why not? And I, I started the week with strep throat, so then I had to run to patient first at like 9 p.m. because I was stubborn and didn't want to go out and got my medicine, came back home. And then the next day when I was getting out of bed, I twisted wrong, felt a pop in my back. And then four hours later, I couldn't walk anymore. And so the first like half of this week was excruciating pain and then doctor visits and then chiropractor visit. And now I can walk around my house, but it still hurts. And that's without coronavirus coming into my house and beating me up. So (laughs) I'm just not really sure how I'm going to make it through the next couple of weeks. But also, I can still do all my work from home. So nothing's changed. But like, man, like I, I was expecting to do a lot of fun stuff at home. And I was expecting to also just like make the house look nice since my wife and I are going to be at home for a while. And I just couldn't do any of this stuff. And I was like, holy cow, like if this doesn't get better, then I don't know what worse looks like. And I really don't want to see it. Of course, then I hurt my back and I saw what worse was. I mean, there was this one part where like I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and then I'm coming back, but like I'm stuck in the doorway holding onto the post. And then Catherine wakes up and she's like, do you need help? I'm like, no, I can do it. (laughs) Let me have this, Catherine. (laughs) 
need this. Stumbling to the bed. And then like when I fell into bed, I like usually you get in a bed and you can get into it in a way that doesn't disturb the other person. But there was no other way for me to bend than to just fall into the bed and just like fall onto Catherine. And then like twist into bed. And it's like 3 a.m. Oh, it was horrible. What a week. I, I had joy the whole time. I wasn't bitter or angry, but it was like lots of good, lots of great prayer. And that's a real joy to see that like my heart's so different now because something like this would really put me over the edge. But yeah, I mean, that was all before Corona ever like decided to get in my household, which thank goodness it hasn't. But isn't that crazy? How was your week, Dan? Oh, um, <laughs> I work in a hospital, as I'm sure I mentioned before. I work in a psych unit. It, this whole thing is giving me a little bit of perspective on, you know, the sovereignty of God and all that stuff, because I live, first off, I live with my in-laws. We live in an apartment that initially was meant for uh, their grandfather, and then he ended up never actually living here. So we live in the basement apartment in their house. And, you know, my wife and I obviously prefer if we had our own place. And I've actually been trying to get out of my job for a long time. And lo and behold, and now we're in a moment in history where I am very grateful that we have like this like sturdy foundation to lean on where if my wife and I were, were to suddenly lose their jobs or something, I wouldn't have to worry about being put out on the street. And I actually, because of my job, I have an immense amount of job security because hospitals are one of the only things that no matter what happens will not shut down throughout this whole crisis. And uh, yeah, the it's it, it's so weird because my day-to-day life has almost changed not at all. I still go to work the same amount of time. If anything, I actually went to work a little less than I did the week before because I, I was picking up a lot of shifts previously. I still get up at the same time. I still sleep at the same schedule and I still go to work every day and see my same coworkers. It's just like I said, there's now this just like cloud above us of coronavirus. So every day I come into work, there's new regulations, there's new um, changes. Now we don't, there's no visitors at the hospital. We're changing the way we take patients. And there is this kind of, fatalism i'm noticing with a lot of my coworkers, where the sense is it's not if it's when when will a patient get covid19 when will a coworker get covid19 and all it takes is for one you know for, for those who don't know the way this works is you get if you are feeling suicidal or you know the cops just find you wandering the streets rambling ranting and raving or you suddenly think that your you know spouse is secretly an isis and trying to kill you so you decide to stab them or something you either get taken by the police to a emergency room or you should go to the emergency room if you feel like you're going to kill yourself. Um, and then there you get medically cleared to come in and, to, and then you get sent to a psych unit because, you know, we don't want to take somebody who is dying or something or has whatever, which usually not a big problem. Uh, typically, emergency rooms will give us inaccurate, you know, reads on people. We, we were... You know, they've previously sent us people who it turns out they're level three sex offender, or it turns out that they actually have, we've had people with open wounds get sent to us that we were told they were totally fine. One, one gruesome time, uh, we had someone coming in for, and what we do is we like search a patient before they come in because we've had people like trying sneaking weapons or drugs and they just had like a big coat on and they took their coat off and they just had an open gash in their arm and they just spurted blood all over on the nurses like something out of like a Tarantino movie. <laughs> oh my God. She took it like a champ though. Yeah. My job's weird. But now... Man, oh man, I hope that information of the emergency room is accurate because we're now asking, like, please don't send us anyone who's sick. Please don't send us anyone who's a fever. But the real terror of this with the COVID-19 is that people can be up to two weeks without showing any symptoms or some a lot of people are just asymptomatic at all, like entirely. So there's a sense of like, okay, 
if anyone's ever been to an emergency room knows you can be there for days before you get sent anywhere or you actually see a doctor. So even if someone goes to the emergency room super healthy, there's a chance that they might pick up something from another patient there. That's part of why all the doctors and nurses and stuff are pleading with people not to go to the hospitals unless they're like dying or someone they know is dying. So you know you want to bring somebody because the chances are if you get the sniffles and you go to the hospital right at this moment in time, you might end up getting coronavirus over your you know backache or something. So we're doing what we can to try and keep our patients safe and keep ourselves safe. And initially we were going to record yesterday, but I actually we had a suddenly we had a meeting called uh, to talk about this, and the meeting wasn't very useful. It's 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 scary. I'm, I've never been scared to go to work before, and you know I work at a place that you know multiple several. There was a month stretch where eleven of my coworkers were injured in some fashion be from physically assaulted patients. And I've never been afraid to go to work before, but now I don't want to bring something home to my in-laws. I don't want to bring something home to my wife, but it could happen. So on the one hand, praise God for my job security, praise God that I'm in a place where if things were to suddenly go very, very South in any way, either like if the stock market just imploded tomorrow or suddenly I couldn't pay my bills. I'm in a place that's fine for that. Also, my wife works at a place that sells like soaps and stuff. So (laughs) she was able to stock up before all this happened. So, hey, look at the way the Lord provides. But yeah, so my week has been the same, but just it'd be like if someone just put horror music over my day-to-day life. Like (laughs) nothing that I do (laughs) is changed at all. But there's something spooky going on behind the scenes. And it's it's weird because all of my coworkers and some of these are seasoned nurses who've been in this business for like 30, 40 years. They're just like, they're shrugging like, eh, probably going to get it. Who knows? And they just keep going. <laughs> just a just a healthy reminder to keep praying for all the people in your medical and in, in the medical field. <laughs> Including me. Please pray for yeah. me. Don't, don't be afraid to name drop uh, Daniel when you're talking to the big guy <laughs> in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, man. To all the listeners, don't worry, we're going to go more in depth about this. So You have a monthly movie news to look forward to, <laughs> where basically all we're going to talk about is the effects of, <laughs> of the coronavirus on the industry. And man, it's some very interesting stuff. As Catherine and I have been saying this week, things are going to be very different on the other side of coronavirus. But Anyways, we'll see. So, to all the boys I've loved before, <laughs> thank you so much, patrons, for choosing this movie because I really enjoyed watching it again. And I only watched it, I think, like the for my first time a couple, like maybe a month and a half ago. So it's a lot of fun to do it again. And I could talk endlessly about it, but let's hear Daniel's thoughts on it. Daniel, what did you think? Oh, geez, of all the boys I've loved before. <laughs> it's so weird being on the other side of that. I'm used to I'm used to being the one to just throw things at you. <laughs> so first off. Melvin will often, you know, message me periodically, you know, with updates about the podcast, or he'll ask me my my opinion on something, or you know, because we're we do we do a minimum of two shows together every month, and then you know, now if you haven't noticed, I've been sort of inter integrated into a couple other episodes here and there, so I get a very regular stream of messages from Melvin, and unfortunately for him, because I work overnights at my job, <laughs> I'm not the best at responding. And he's, he's like a professional ghoster. Yeah. I feel so bad but then he like has a good reason for it. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just, it's not just you, Melvin, don't worry. There's, I mean, this isn't good, but like I will wake up to about 10 different message threads from people. <laughs> like a where, yeah. Cause in addition to, to the podcast, I also am a moderator in several other um, Facebook groups and I'm in do ministry. So I'm also getting stuff from Slack. And I also, I run four different Twitter accounts now, both between <laughs> this podcast personal and 
my friend's band's Twitter account, which has a grand total of 20, 20 followers, five of which are people in that band. Cute. So he he was like, hey, like, so here's what, you know, the patrons decided. Do you want to jump on this episode? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I could not for the life of me remember what the name of the movie was. So <laughs> I, I was going through and actually he'd sent me a Google Doc with some like ideas for like things to talk about with this movie. And so I looked at that real quickly and then I turned Netflix and there's two of these movies and I could not remember which one I was supposed to watch because there's, there's the movie we're talking about today and then there's a sequel. And so initially I was like, well, maybe what if you just want to talk? Cause then the sequel just came out. So I was like, that's gotta be the one. But I, so I ended up watching both movies, which in, in a row while my wife was sleeping next to me because <laughs> I just don't have time. And after watching, a grand total of three hours of this. It's hard to fully state what my feelings are on this movie because the entire core of this movie in your enjoyment is as is the case with all romantic comedies, rom-coms is how you feel about the couple and how you feel about like their relationship and chemistry. And for me, I wasn't really even into their relationship or really invested into it until about halfway through the second movie. But that in itself is a testament to how effective the actors were in the first movie. So for those who don't know, the basic premise is that you have a lead character and this, this episode is going to really expose how bad I am at character names, but her name is Lara, Laura Jean, Laura Jean, Laura Jean. I should know that because everyone gets calling Laura Jean the whole time. Laura Jean is a girl who, you know, reads romance novels, fantas- fantas- fantasize about romance, but it's very much sort of like the romantic and the part of the way she copes with these feelings is she writes love letters in theory to these people and then her precocious little sister um, decides to just mail out these love letters and attempt to help her find a boyfriend. Right. The one part she's like, you you were lonely and you needed a boyfriend because I had to cancel plans to hang out with you and you had no plan. <laughs> and I'm 11. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, and I just figured if I send five letters out, the chances of you getting a boyfriend are higher. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, cute. And that's the yeah. word. I, I, this movie overall is very charming. And I think it's not a fair criticism of movies to criticize it for being formulaic because part of the reason these formulas exist is because they're successful. And so I don't think a movie should be merely dock points because it adheres to some sort of a three act structure or you've seen these types of tropes before. Tropes exist because they're, they're useful for writers and they're useful for people to tell a story. And I think this movie is a good example of it's not so much an issue with the formula itself. It's how what you interject into that formula. And I think where this movie succeeds really well is that both lead actors are very, very good. And I found their chemistry to be really charming. And I found just the sort of the dynamics of the relationship to fully explain. So one of these letters goes to somebody who has recently broken up with their, their girlfriend. And so she's like, no, 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 those feelings I had for that letter, they're from a long time ago. And he's like, well, what if we pretended to be a couple so that we can make this girl jealous? And so, okay, the setup is a little, dumb quite frankly it it's one of those things that only exists within a romantic comedy because normal people would never do this and there's an even more egregious example of that in the sequel and it's like okay it's not about the setup it's about what happens after setup because that's kind of the the fun of stories is okay what if this ridiculous scenario existed how people react to that and to that extent i think the movie does a really good job of like playing on that dynamic playing on the unrealistic dynamic in a realistic way so you sort of see them interacting and you sort of see like the way this affects the whole hierarchy of this high school social circle social 
uh, hierarchy, but in a way that didn't feel too overdramatic. Like there wasn't, it wasn't like a, like a Disney, like teen show where like everyone's overreacting to it or like people having fights in the hallways about it, or there aren't armies of like mean girls trying to sabotage the relationship. Everyone just sort of goes, huh, that's kind of neat. And just kind of moves on with their life. And then people sort of ask them like realistic questions of like, Oh, how did that happen? This seems kind of weird that you guys are dating. And then, spoilers uh obviously as they act out this fake relationship turns out they have a lot in common turns out they bring out the good in each other yada 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 eventually becomes a relationship and it's really cute and obviously just describing a bare bones explanation of the plot itself and how everything plays out isn't going to do a lot for you know you guys listening to this or even to sell you on the movie but what really makes it work is like i said the relationship is like believable but there's also a lot of just little nice touches about why they begin to develop feelings for each other where there's underlying thing where our main character, her father, who's awesome. Her dad's very charming. So it's funny. Such a cool dad. He's a cool dad. <laughs> and she has two old, two sisters, an older sister, younger sister, and their mother uh, passed away. I don't know how long ago she passed away. I might've just missed that detail. And so there's, it's sort of revealed throughout the movie that part of why she hasn't ever had a, been in a relationship before is because there's this underlying fear of like rejection and loss so the reason that she's never entered a relationship is that fear of, you know, losing somebody. And so learning to open up to this other person, he himself, his parents have divorced. And so there's sort of that commonality between them. And there, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot of little, little nice touches. I found it overall charming. I actually think, you know, I think the plan right now is to in the future review the sequel, but I think the sequel actually does a better job of exploring of what a relationship like this would look like in a way that like explores sort of like realistic pratfalls that exist in this type of thing. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult for me to grade romantic comedies for several reasons. That I think we'll get into once we get into more in the weeds of our discussion, but I'll just say this part of why I don't like romantic comedies is I, I hate that they take something like one of the most foundational complex, but universal human experiences, which is love and falling in love with somebody and the way that develops and oversimplifies it to just a set of like cliches. I will say that this movie does a decent job of actually realistically exploring a relationship and some of its issues and having realistic conversations about it and like actually like handling the issues that would come up with a relationship in a way that's not too drawn out or like, like there, there's, there's that classic scene where there's a, there's a misunderstanding between them and then they split and then they have to reconcile later. And I thought that didn't, they didn't draw it out for like 30 minutes or something. They actually end up having a conversation about it. And not what I feel like is a realistic amount of time where I hate when, when you just scream at your screen, just talk to each other, just talk to each other. If you just talked about this, this wouldn't be such a big <laughs> yeah. issue. They do both a good job of explaining why people don't have conversations right away. And then when they do have them, the conversations actually play out in a way that doesn't feel too overly scripted, if that makes sense. I don't know. You seem to like this a lot more than me. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think, I think you're spot on with the idea that like the one of the issues with these sort of movies, the genre can be it's very formulaic. And the reason we I think it's easy to pin that down is just because Hallmark movies exist. And the thing that works with them is that they are formulaic and easy to chew on, which, by the way, if you're stuck at home, Hallmark is showing Christmas movies. So there's that. Nothing could lift my spirits during a pandemic more than pining for like christmas that sounds so depressing to me (laughs) so bad isn't it like what's the happiest time of the year that's not happening right now (laughs) christmas let's do that i will say thank thank 
the Lord above that there isn't a holiday right now that we're all missing out on because of this. Can you imagine if this is happening around Thanksgiving? We're like Easter. And the government government was like pleading with people, please don't go to Thanksgiving with the family. That's going to kill us all. Like, But yeah, this movie, the benefit of it is like that it doesn't, like you're saying, it's not trivialize. It's not trivializing the difficulty and nuance to love in a way that's stupid, like candy or something like that. The film is visual candy. It looks really great. Yeah. Like there were some scenes where like it has that gold hue and I'm like, is this drive? <laughs> this looks like drive. <laughs> is this the elevator scene? <laughs> yeah. I love the kids bedrooms because one of my pet peeves, I mentioned this is Sonic, is when you look at a house and it doesn't and feel nobody's lived, in. lived there. Yeah. It looks like a set. This like everyone's like rooms feel like like an actual like kid's bedroom. I thought the high school looked like a high school. So there was some, there was some like someone was like paying attention and like there was some craft on display here as far as like making everything feel right. And the banner and the banner is telling you when like that was a good <laughs> use of like telling people what setting was going on right. while also incorporating it into the setting. And it just looked good too. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the thing with this movie though is it takes those things and it sort of adds creativity and art to them. And so even when there's parts where you might roll your eyes, like at least the film looks good, the soundtrack's good, <laughs> and all of this stuff is working. And so to that end, I think it's like just really effective when it needs to be. And then like you mentioned too, the two two lead performers, Lana, Lana Condor and Noah Centennial are really great. I don't know. I just I just really liked it. And I, again, like I said, I was, I was glad to watch it again just because there's, like you said, it's charming. There's just so much charm that just keeps pouring out of this movie with every scene that goes on like laura jean gets into like a tough situation and she's like down in the dumps and so she cleans her room and Catherine's just like yeah that sounds about right <laughs> it's like what do i do when i'm sad I, I just clean her family's just there going oh she's cleaning that must be really bad yes, it must be bad yeah oh man you mentioned to me i don't remember if it was just something you wrote down in your notes or if you'd mentioned to me in, in the text but you mentioned that, like, oh, this movie's like really clever and funny. And it was it was weird because it never made me like laugh out loud, but it was constantly making me kind of chuckle to myself where I was just kind of like, I would appreciate that the movie never felt like it was going for low hanging fruit. Like you've said a movie in high school, there's going to be, it's going to be easy to try to either A, try and make too many topical references or make too many jokes about like phone apps or trendy songs or something. Or just go like really lowbrow or have like people make jokes about like farts or sex or something. This movie didn't either. When sex was was brought up, it was brought up in a way that was very natural or made sense in kind of like the context of the conversations they're having. And they never got too graphic or vulgar, which kind of plays into sort of a weird thing I have with any movie starring teenagers where teenagers either are played by people who are clearly adults and that always bothers me. I will never get over watching the first Spider-Man film with Tobey Maguire and that movie Tobey Maguire is supposed to be a high school senior and he, he's <laughs> visibly not. He's visibly Tobey Maguire. All of the actors look like they were in college. Every single they one. They look like they're going back for their master's degree. Like they're all too old for that. Or like it's people who are scripted to sound like way too young. This movie like everyone kind of talked in a way that they they were they sounded too mature to be high schoolers. I know this because I work with high schoolers both at my job and as somebody who does youth ministry at my church. But at the same time, like 
movies about high school students are never supposed to necessarily 100% sound like high school students. They're supposed to represent what high school-aged kids want to sound like. And so, like, all these characters are having these conversations, these important, deep conversations about their lives and romance and love. And, yeah, they're not talking in a way that a high schooler would talk about these things, but they are talking about them in a way that high schoolers really imagine themselves to be talking about them for the same profound and, and introspective things about, you know, romance and heartbreak and all that stuff. And so I, I, I liked that a lot about the movie. Yeah, and if you want to watch something that sounds like a high schooler, you just go watch eighth grade. Right, eighth because grade. <laughs> everything about that movie is like everything's awkward and everything's like you have to you have to kind of read into what the dialogue is and be like, this is what they're trying to say, but they just don't know how to say it. Right. But then yeah, this movie is like very clearly like what you just described where it's like, this is what, this is what high schoolers think they sound like or want to sound like, or their openness is what they want to have. But then, like you said, in real life, if you accidentally had a love letter sent out, like no one would approach you about that. They'd probably just like, <laughs> this is awkward. And then just put it away. <laughs> like, it's just nothing. Yeah. Or they just post it. Either they just post it online. I will say that the times they did it in, into this movie, there's a lot of subtle things I think this movie needs to get a lot of credit for. One of them is the way they interlace in social media is very, like it never stuck out as like a how do you do fellow kids kind of thing. Oh, this thing got posted <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. Or, oh, I saw that you went here because it's in your Snapchat story. Like very, like very much the way that I think a normal kid from Earth would talk about these things. It's the sort of thing where you realize it's part of normal life and not something totally <laughs> new and cool. Like, I don't, when I talk about Instagram to, to cat, I'm like, look at this funny, cute cat picture. I don't like go like, yo, this stuff on Instagram is crazy. Have you checked out bub? And then we all cry because <laughs> we check out bub and we're like, oh, that's so sad. Best job. Bub. All right. Yeah. Best job. Bub. <laughs> I will say that one of the things that really makes it difficult for me to really engage with movies like this is. I don't know if I just went to the wrong high school or something, but I've, I've mentioned in the past that I got made fun of a lot as a kid. But when I say that, I mean that I got made fun of a lot through like middle school. When I got to high school, I, I mean, I was a very awkward, weird kid. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know if it was just because I went to like school in like a very liberal area or something, but nobody really cared about that. I kind of, you just kind of found a group of people, but then everyone kind of inter intermingled with other like, clicks or whatnot so like all of like the whole high school like there's like a caste system in high school that kind of stuff never happened none of the like drama you see like there wasn't like there's a scene early on in this movie where one girl is dressing another girl down because she thinks like her boots are dumb or something like that that just didn't happen and i just every time that happens in like a high school drama i'm just or a, a movie or show that's supposed to take place in high school i'm just like is this something that's widespread and I just totally missed out on it? Or is this something that only exists in the imaginations of young adult authors or something? Because I just never saw or experienced these types of things. Everyone kind of minded their own business at my high school. It was a pretty big high school. There was a couple thousand students there. So I don't know. Is this something that happened to you? Is this, am I just an outlier here? I had the same experience where like in high school, everyone sort of just kind of went, went to just sort of hung out with everybody and had their, but had their own group. I think, I think clicks only exist in like middle school and churches at this point. There's like, because like, I think like middle school, everyone's too afraid to actually be real with each other. And then churches, 
everybody's too afraid to be real with each other. <laughs> and so you find the click of like the three people you can be real with. And then you don't talk to anybody else because you hold grudges and you don't talk to each other about it. Um, <laughs> insight into my life. Uh, yeah. I'll I'm say, just... Melvin, are you projecting a little bit? <laughs> uh, no, that's none of that's actually true. <laughs> I mean, there are clicks and churches for sure. I'm clicks at anywhere really, but it really comes down to, I think a, a means of honesty because yeah, once you get to high school, I think people are just much more, I mean, their frontal lobes are developing much further. <laughs> they're actually starting yeah. to think about things in the ways that you should. And they're also starting to be aware of fear because they're like, wow, when I graduate, I go from being a student <laughs> to nobody. So it's right. just, uh, I think there's like a collective, like we kind of just need to be friends with each other because we're the, the end is near. And so at least like in this movie, when like, yeah, they're in high school and like a character is making fun of you for your boots. Like, I think it really comes down to at that point, uh, if it's a well-written story, you have to figure there must be some kind of grudge between these characters because yeah. nobody just comes out and is like, uh, I hate you because you're you and I'm going to target you for just being you. But otherwise, like real life is nothing. Well, maybe I don't know, because I've only been to high school once. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I went to one. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know if it's like typical or something. I Maybe it's a thing where. I mean, obviously, like as I get older, I get more and more removed from high school. And then my college experience was um, not, I guess you could say typical. But I think as you get more removed from high school, you sort of forget what it is like. And oftentimes it's not so much what really happens as as it, like what it feels like. Yeah. And so I think what a lot of dramas, like something like Degrassi or like a One Tree Hill or now like you get something like Riverdale what they do is they like dr dramatize and externalize the types of things that maybe only exist in the heads of high school students where, okay, like obviously there's never something like what you see in a Stephen King story or like an even like most Adam Sandler films will include like these over the top jock, like bully type characters, but that might be what it feels like where you feel like the world's against you or in high school, you feel like everyone's out to get you or every time, you know, someone turns you down or your heart is broken. It feels like the entire world is ending. And so I think maybe that's kind of what's at play. And and so I I appreciate that this movie does that in bits and pieces, but it's mostly downplayed. And when it is kind of revealed what the ongoing sort of issue between Laura Jean and what's her name? Yeah, I don't remember the friend's name. Was it Jen or something like that? I'll look it up. Okay, but like, okay, like the the ex-girlfriend like when it's revealed that they actually do have some sort of like ongoing beef the resolution of that if it wasn't for the second movie i would think it was one of the stupidest things ever where like it turns out that like their issue the root of their issue is something that's in my mind so minuscule and so stupid that i couldn't believe that the movie is actually trying to use it as like a justification for why this one character hates laura jean so much yeah it's her, her name's jen okay good job me yay the thing with like of all the things in this movie that yeah just feel unfinished it's definitely that like when that particular part resolves it's like that that feels like there's more and yeah if you watch the second film it kind of resolves that a lot better because i, I don't know I, during a usually when you watch a movie a second time the the parts that you like get better sometimes right but the parts that don't work become a bit more glaring just because you now know the plot better and so when you're watching it through you're like oh like 
yeah, that really doesn't work. And I think that's like the one part when, when it resolves that relationship, it doesn't quite, it, yeah, it does feel a little weak. You're like, really? That's why you don't like each other, which is kind of fair, I guess. But like, cause you have heightened emotions when you're growing up and they're heightened because you don't know what to do with them, but they are in 11th grade, which is pretty mature. <laughs> like sure. some people like to downplay high schoolers and, and basically anyone in grade school. But like once you hit like sophomore year, I mean, sophomore, it's, it's wise fool. Like that is what sophomore means. And so like you're in that balance of like, I kind of understand how to function in life, but I still have my middle school energy. And then junior year hits and you're like, I'm too tired. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> like, so I don't know. Like, yeah, you got your heightened emotions and maybe that's why that whole relationship is the way it is. But yeah, you hit 11th grade and like you just don't care about stuff anymore. You're like, you just want to go home and read a book or or watch a movie at that point. I can't, I can't be bothered with these grudges is basically what it, what it hits with. But I don't know. As somebody who can sometimes linger on issues, maybe that's just not true. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I've, I've met some very immature 20 and 30 year olds. So yeah, who, who linger on on things and lord knows i can linger on things if anyone's listened to my podcast <laughs> they know that i can linger on stuff and just be like well the syndoc podcast is now a venting podcast <laughs> i will say that in addition to the the difference of like high school experience one of the big one of the very big things that sort of keeps me from fully connecting with a lot of like rom-coms or any film with like romance is sort of at the center is I just, I've never experienced heartbreak. I've never experienced, well, okay, I, I, that's not true, but I've never experienced a breakup. For those who do not know, the only person I ever dated is my wife. We, we did not date until we both were adults. I, how old was I? Jeez, I was like 25, 26 when we started dating. And then we got married less than two years after that, like, my entire like romantic history is fairly short compared to a lot of other people. Like I did not have a high school sweetheart. I did not have a high school crush. I did not. I, in my entire life, I have only asked one person to a date in like a traditional sense. And that was, that's its own weird story. It wasn't because I had feelings for them. It was because somebody, Okay, like here's here's a weird story. If this is just bizarre, and, okay, <laughs> bring up this trauma. Bring it up. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's trauma. But okay, so in college, I was I was that guy who I had a lot of friends who were girls, and um, this was a small Bible college, and so where the anyone who's been to a Bible college can tell you that it's sort of like the norm for people to come in freshman year single and then be married by sophomore year. Ring by spring. Ring by spring is the old joke goes or your money back. And um, so by the fact that I was now like a junior and <laughs> was still single and didn't seem to have any particular interest in not being single. There are a lot of girls who are just like, Dan, I, like, I understand. Like, if, you know, you're such a great catch, you're such a great guy. And I was like, okay. And so one of my <laughs> friends, who well, I'll just name them, her name's Krista. She is one of the most extroverted human beings I've ever met in my life. How we were such good friends, I will never understand. But she was like, Dan, like, there's a lot of girls at the school that like you. A lot of girls, if you just if you just ask one of them now, I'm sure they go out with you. I was like, if, if you set me up on a date, 
I will go on that date. And she was like, okay, good. And then like mysteriously, like every time we'd, we'd talk about it, it was like, it started off, there's a lot of girls to, there's a decent amount of girls that like you too. There are some girls who eventually just became, I found a girl. So that was not so great for my ego, but she was like, I found this girl. And I was like, oh, sick. Like, so you can set us up on a date. And she was like, oh no, like you should just ask her out. I was like, that's not setting me up on a date. You just found a person <laughs> yeah. and pointed at them and were like, that one over there. And the girl in question was this very quiet, like introverted, you know, homeschool girl who's really sweet, really nice. We had a few handful of conversations, um, but she was like, you should ask her out. I was like, okay. Now, unbeknownst to me, she found out that apparently I was going to ask her out. And she was just terrified of this proposition. And so she ended up like, I worked in a library. She stopped going to the library on days that I worked there. I worked in the kitchen. I was like a supervisor. She stopped going to meals when if I was working there. And so she just disappeared. In my mind, she just disappeared from the campus. And I was like, where did this girl go? And so I was just like, what happened? And so this became like, this was like a Friday 13th movie where I'm Jason, apparently, where this poor girl was just <laughs> mortified at the idea of me asking her out. I have no idea why, where like she was just like avoiding me on campus this whole time. I was like, this is so weird. And so it became like a weird thing where I was like, okay, next time I see this person, I'm just asking them out. I don't know what, because I didn't, I didn't know what's going on. So finally, I, I managed, to, managed to track them down, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Um, and so I was like, hey, like, valentine's valentine's day was coming up too on top of all this i was like so like hey like would you want to go out for coffee sometime she was like uh like like on a date and i was like yeah if you, if you don't mind she was like uh that's okay <laughs> I just turned around and walked away uh, <laughs> i was like oh geez okay and so i was just like okay and i went up and then i found out that she had been purposely avoiding me and i felt horrible like oh my gosh Aww. like i didn't realize that i was just like so when Valentine's Day actually hit, I put a Valentine in her in her mailbox and it said, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I didn't realize that you had found out that I was feeling it. I didn't realize that this idea spooked you so much. And and I don't want to get into details of why she was so afraid of the proposition of me asking her out. But it, the, the, the reasons were hers and not mine to share. But I was like, look, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that you were so intimidated by this whole thing. Like... If you would, I would like to do, but can I get you coffee as like a, as like an apology? And so we actually ended up did having coffee together. So that at least resolved nice. But that was the only time I've ever asked uh, anybody out in my entire life was that strange story that I just <laughs> shared with everybody for some reason. That was great. But that's, that, <laughs> I'm glad that, but that's the entirety of my, like my wife, my wife, my now wife and I, we were just friends. And then that friendship eventually developed into marriage and so like there wasn't this whole like oh i you know i like them let me ask them out kind of thing so all of all of this romance that you see in rom romantic comedies and high school dramas and stuff is just i just don't have those share experiences so i don't like have this moment of oh this makes so much sense oh like that's so true oh i've been there like just none of that none of that connects connects with me so I think for me, what never connects with me with these kind of movies is that just everybody's rich. Oh my gosh! Like, uh, like where are they living? Like, yeah, it's just really strange to me. And I think like if it's not something that feeds the plot, usually I'm just like, all right, I just have to look past this. Because interestingly enough, like the the thing that fascinates me with a movie like Waves is that it's basically a teen drama, but real, like kind of a, a little more realistic, where like things don't really work out <laughs> in most cases. 
And so everybody being rich, or at least the area where they're living, feeds sort of this tragedy or this sort of like think piece. But like into all the boys, they're all just rich because they're just rich. <laughs> like, And that's just how it is, I guess. I mean, they're not really rich. I mean, they have nice houses is what I should say. And so that to me just says rich, <laughs> but maybe they just live down South where like big houses cost only like $200,000. And then like where I live, a small house is $200,000. So right. very different world. In like the beginning of the second movie, he takes them out. He takes um, the guy takes Laura Jean out to like a fancy restaurant on a date. And then later, another character mentions they does that all the time. And it's just like, I don't know if I could afford that now. And I'm, gonna, I'm yeah, an adult that like, works full time. How is like a high school student doing this? Like, I was thinking like, oh, maybe he's using his parents' money. But that that sounds so rude and, and mean to say. But like, I always think about like the, the funny thing with high school or middle school dating is that like, hey, you want to go on a date? My mom's free and she can drive us. <laughs> like, just that idea. Yeah, it's my, like, my dad can take me to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. We can only hang out for a few hours because that's when my mom gets off work and can pick us up. <laughs> and it's just like these stupid yeah. things where like you're not dating until you can drive. That's what that's what like I told myself growing up was like, I really I don't think I'm dating until I can drive myself. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's too funny to think about that. I guess technically you could say you can date now if you use like Netflix party or something and you're just staying home, but that's not dating. I mean, it kind of is if you make it a date, my wife and I would do that. We would make little date nights where we would set time, time together to just be together online. Well, of course she was States away. So that makes sense. But if you're only a couple blocks away, just ride your bike, man. I'm I'm undecided in how I feel about high school dating. I think you, I don't think you should restrict high schoolers from dating. And I think, and I think it's a good skill to cultivate. And again, this goes into why I found the second film more engaging. It's because I, both my wife and I definitely can relate to this whole like dynamic of like a, somebody who's never been in a relationship before trying to figure out what to do in a relationship. And so if, the, if there is one thing that I kind of wish that I had as an adult that I didn't have simply because I had never been in a relationship was just like, I was in a unique situation where my wife also like had never had a relationship before me. So we were each other's first boyfriend and girlfriend, first handhold, all that, all that cute stuff. And so there was, there was something really nice about figuring all that stuff out together. Like what does setting up a date look like? What does going on a date look like? And so like, but outside of that very unique situation, I think it's just, these are just good skills to cultivate. Like as when you're in high school, figuring out how to express your feelings, figuring out how to ask something on a date, figuring out you know how to be on a date. And if anything, I think that's a good safe parameter where, okay, because my mom and dad had to give me 20 bucks so that we can eat at Applebee's or whatever. And because <laughs> my parents had to pick us up and drop us off from the movies, like that does create like a safe sort of dynamic where, okay, like we're dating, but within the confines of our parents, do you have some sort of parental like oversight so we don't do anything, you know, too reckless too stupid or just even like just financially irresponsible but apparently that's a somewhat unpopular opinion among a lot of christians like i this is something i didn't realize until i got to like a very like conservative bible college or even like being in places like the reform pub or even just like of the other christian spaces where there is a strong contingency of people who are not just against high school dating but they're just against the concept of dating which is interesting to me and i think a lot of it just comes from this idea that 
I don't think I think this is a good example of defining terms. Like when you say dating, like what are you talking about? I think some people when they hear the term dating, they think of like reckless, you know, post Tinder culture where people are just willy nilly just like going on dates with multiple different people and nobody's like committed like to each other. Yeah, like everyone's that. just hooking yeah. up and they're going to clubs and raves and doing molly or whatever whatever it is which, which nobody can afford no not not in this economy let's be real here like nobody can afford that not with COVID 19 <laughs> shutting down the clubs and raves but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like i don't think there's anything at all wrong of being like hey you seem nice let's go for coffee let's spend time together so that i can understand and, and you as a person and so we get to know each other and i would go so far as to say and i'm saying this as somebody that has only been in a relationship with one person i think there's a great value in just being in relationships in some way with multiple different people throughout your life just so you can understand like who people are because i have definitely encountered people where they're in a relationship with somebody that they just don't necessarily they, there's a lot of flaws in their relationship or there's things about their relationship that aren't healthy or good and they just don't know anything else and i think that's a danger that i don't think a lot of people really factor into this where yeah, in a perfect world, everyone's a Bible-believing Christian, and they're a Christian in the same in the same way. And everyone has the same understanding of who God is. And everyone, like you, go to church together, and you're 30, and you've been going to the same church your whole life. And another person who's also 30 has been going to church the, like their whole life, and you guys just decide to get married. Like, okay, yeah, that'd be beautiful if everyone got, but that's just not how the world works. People come to the Lord at different periods of life. People, you know, have different ideas of what a relationship is because of different like way they were raised like even the fact that we're having this conversation i think leads let's credence the idea that not everyone is coming to a relationship with the same idea of what a relationship is i read a really amazing reddit thread once which was like it was just like what's the fastest when a couple get divorced and there are people and they're saying things like the day after our wedding i got home and then my my husband turned and just slapped me as hard as he could and said oh, there's no. nothing you can do about it and, or like someone just said, like, I, I, my husband quit his job and just thought I would just take care of him from that point on or like things like that. Yeah. And those are things you just don't know. And the, those are things that like, I could see somebody falling into that trap over like, they just, they've only been like, because of like the way they were raised where, you know, they read, I kissed dating goodbye, unfortunately. Yeah. Jeez. What a book. <laughs> what a book. But then, you know, they're like, well, we never want a room alone together. And so, like, I never actually knew what type of, like, one of the best bits of dating advice I ever got actually was from a teacher at my school who told me, like, people are different in different settings. And so, like, the person that they are with their friends is not the person that they are with their family, is not the person that they are at church, is not the person that they're going to be with you. And so, you need to see these people in different settings. And just, I don't know, there's just, there's just I'm not saying that other ways of this can't work. You know, I've heard stories of people who, got just they just got married they just decided to get married you know and even my story is unusual to most people where my wife and i two weeks into dating were talking about how many kids we were gonna have you know that's just that's just the relationship but i will say that but that was after years and years of like having a majority of my close friends were women and so like I had a good idea of like the type of person that I wanted to marry. Like I had had all like, yeah, not the same type of romantic relationships, but I had had a lot of relationships with women that sort of helped form the basis of my mind of the type of woman that I would one day marry, you know? I think the other thing too, is that like when you're dating, 
like the, like what you said first was define dating and, and the idea that like some people do think it's just hooking up or, or doing whatever you want. And like, it's like not married, married, which is just not true. That might be a cultural thing, but one of the problems that I think like talking about something like I kiss, I kiss dating goodbye, apart from the fact that um, Joshua Harris denounced the book <laughs> and then denounced Christianity, which I don't really like name dropping, but we're, you kind of have to, when you're talking about that book means that like maybe maybe that book isn't necessarily a good resource for us to be defining christian dating but the importance of dating especially like you said is like you're going to open yourself a little bit to sit in a room alone with somebody else and talk about things and in this film one of the most defining moments in in their relationship is talking about like yeah i lost my mom yeah my dad divorced my my mom and he's got another family. And so like, that's something that you really don't reveal when you're sitting out at a party. That's not right, something you really exactly. reveal when you're sitting out at dinner in a public restaurant. Cause you don't, you know, this is a vulnerable topic and somebody might start crying and crying when you're trying to eat food is equal parts pathetic and funny. So it's yeah. just like, it just doesn't work. It's just like trying to look mad when you're sipping out of a straw. Like it's just funny and pathetic. That would be an interesting thread to have on Reddit. What are things that are funny and pathetic? Eating food while crying and angrily sipping from a straw. But those are things that you really don't get unless you're sitting in a room privately. And if you really are worried about sitting in a room privately because of something sexual happening, then maybe you shouldn't be dating that person. Or maybe you need to go talk to the Lord about your own problems. Right. Um, because that's that's a very different thing. Maybe that means you're not dateable. Like Maybe. There are certain things that just that like might just be the case that you don't know because you don't feel safe sitting quietly in a room with somebody. You have this when you're, when you're married where like you just sit in the room and you're not doing anything with each other, but like you're together and you feel safe, but you can get that when you're dating too. Like, Hey, you just want to come over and watch a show and then the show's over and you guys are just on your phones with each other. And it's easy for boomers to make fun of that. Like, ho ho, they're just on their phones doing nothing. Well, guess what? lighthouse had not a phone in sight and some crazy stuff happens in the lighthouse between two people alone so well there's, there's an alternative that is not good either but um oh, that's one of my favorite reviews for the lighthouse not a phone in sight just dudes being bros <laughs> but, but yeah like that is actually a good healthy thing if you can if like you and your partner can just sit in a room and be on each other on your phones doing nothing sending memes to each other like through messenger you're not even leaning over to show on your phone you're just like hey i just shared this to you anyways it's just that stuff that you really don't get unless you're willing to court somebody really like that's a term i think people use in the church still but like that's usually the term that i think most people mean when they're like this is healthy dating is courting somebody but that's such a dated word yeah like, isn't that funny it's a dating word dated word ah good jokes melvin that's a great you joke. get them you get them when you get them that's just how it is yeah i think i think it's it is truly bizarre that like you said like it's not a it's not an opinion that people have. It's not an opinion that people agree with in the reform pub, but you shouldn't really get your opinions from there. And then like Bible colleges or, or seminaries, which is funny because the whole ring, ring by spring thing is like, you got to date to find those things out. But I don't know. It's just, that's this topic risks me getting cynical and feeling sick at the same time, just because I don't know. It's like, <laughs> so I'll just, I'll be sure to cut myself off. But like, 
how how can you marry someone if you don't date them? Like, I let me start. Let me just say, I'm not going to start. I'm going to end it with this. <laughs> <laughs> I I go to a men's group that works through a lot of stuff, um, and particularly with it works with single single men, but also married men. And one of the biggest difficulties is that as these married men are going through certain things, they're finding out things not only about themselves, but their wives that they've been married to for 20 plus years. And while you shouldn't necessarily be talking, talking about trauma or things like that early in your dating experience, it is very healthy to be honest about those things in your dating and probably, or most definitely in your marriage too. I mean, if you can't be vulnerable with your uh, with your spouse, then you can't be vulnerable with anybody. Right. And I think that even includes with like, it, it becomes harder to be vulnerable with the Lord if you're not vulnerable with your spouse. And so when it comes to things like how dating can help you prepare for those things, that's like, that's a big deal. Now, again, things will be close to your chest. Like some things you really need to keep close. I mean, just like if you're dating and you're sitting in a room quietly with your significant other, that's not the time for you to start making out because that's going to lead to a bad direction. Right. That the same goes for when you talk about yourself as like a personal individual who's gone through certain life experiences. But once you get married, like it's good to know, like I've had this foundation built during dating and now I can expose these things in marriage. I don't know. I, you really can't get any of that if you're doing a ring by spring mentality or you're doing a, I kiss dating goodbye mentality, which I don't know why people even still, I talked to somebody who was like, it's crazy. I mean, he's denouncing the book and it's, he didn't even say anything wrong. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So, it, so it's, uh, it's inerrant now, isn't it? I guess it was inspired. <laughs> I don't know about you, but most people who write inspired literature denounce their stuff. That's, that's, that's something typical about scripture. I don't know. Getting off the soapbox. I just sort of built it while we were talking. <laughs> that's my usual thing. I, I will say, I think a lot of this, I think a lot of this, what's the word term I'm looking for? Skepticism towards dating in Christian circles. Uh, I think part of it is just an unspoken distrust of young people, where I think a lot of older Christians would probably say that they would trust people who are like 35 to, <laughs> oh, to, no. stay, to stay pure or whatever <laughs> what if they to start dating. <laughs> I think what they, what I think what a lot of Christians would avoid is 16, 17 year olds trying to build a relationship because they just don't trust them at that age, which I think is is not unfounded. It's not unfounded to think that teenagers will do things that are reckless. They do do things that are reckless. Um, and so I think there's that element. I think as long as two people, as long as two people are following the parameters set forth in, in God's word, in, which is my, my wife and I did, where we, you know, we didn't do, we didn't partake in sort of sexual morality. We, from, I will say this before I, before I keep going. No two relationships are ever going to be the same. And I think that there's an there's inherent problem with trying to stick, stop and say like, well, okay, this is what my you know husband and my wife did. This is what my husband did. Therefore, everyone should follow the same sort of set standards and guidelines that we used. And that, while I do think there are general guidelines that we can get found in Cat's Word, I don't think you can sit there and say that every two people like should do the same thing that you did. You know, I you know, there, there was, there are relationships that at my Bible college where people were married within three months, they were married within six months and they're going strong today. They, they're deeply in love. They've loved, they love each other just as much, you know, now as they did before, yada, yada, yada. And I suppose God was the center of those relationships. And they, both people went in knowing exactly what they wanted. They knew what they were looking for. And 
you know, my hats off to them. Meanwhile, there are, there are relationships that there are people who came into my school. They've been dating since high school. They've been together through that. They've been together through secular college together. They're now going through Bible college together. And then they went and got their master's degrees and they're no longer together. You know, there's just, there is, I don't think there is a set formula for this. Um, a good example is that some, the, one of the people that did, that did my premarital counseling, we actually, my wife and I did premarital counseling with two different people over the course of our relationship. Not, not because one was bad or anything, but because uh, the denomination my dad is a part of, part of requirement of him being able to do our wedding was that we, he had to see someone, one of their people too, to get, to, to get the seal approval. But one of the people we did a premarital counseling with was like, yeah, like when my wife and I were dating, uh, we couldn't, like, we just were never in a room alone together with the door closed. We just couldn't handle it or something like that. Which my wife and I would occasionally, after that, would be in a room together with the door closed, and we could handle it. And now, but that's not saying one either one of us is wrong. Sure, that is taking a step and just seeing where you're weak, knowing what you can and cannot handle. Some people can't handle that. Meanwhile, I know a lot of other people who can handle even less than that. You know, it's just sort of knowing what your weaknesses are and where you do need to like set up blockades and parameters and guidelines. Just to honor God. So I think there is this, this inherent danger in trying to sit there and say that like everyone should do X, Y, and Z or else this relationship is not honor God. You know, my wife and I, when, when we decided to talk and going back to my initial point is we sat down and we we're like, okay, like what do we want this to be? What is it that we are trying to accomplish here? And so we did like, we're sitting here to try and assess if you and I are meant to be married. That is what the goal of this relationship is. We, no matter what you want to call it, whether you want to call it dating, whether you want to call it courting, you want we have feelings for each other. You know, we are falling in love, and we're trying to figure out if this is what God has for us. And I don't know what the term for that is. I don't know what label you want to throw on it. I refer to it as dating. And so, you know, in prayer and in constantly double checking ourselves and seeing where we're at, that was what we went forward and did. And for some people, that's not what they're looking for. They are looking for something more, quote unquote, more casual. Is there a scriptural basis for that? Is there a scriptural backing for the concept of just casual dating just to fill a void of loneliness? I would tend to say no. <laughs> That's my opinion. I'm, I'm sure someone out there, the internet will disagree with me because there always is. So I think that is more what people are trying to avoid is that sort of a casual, you know, what's what's a label, man? You know, and then just kind of like, they have they're seeing multiple different people and they're sleeping around and so on and so forth. I I think it's one of those things that people make, make too way too complicated. I think relationships are already complicated. I don't think we need to throw up even more blockades where now we start denouncing people because they use the term dating or something. I think this makes it too complicated. I will say that part of why so many Bible college relationships that I've seen that did not last, part of why they didn't last is because you had people that had never been in love before and they're in a hyper religious environment where everything that happened was quote unquote sent by God and clearly God is in this, you know? And so you had people that because they were so sheltered and they, because they hadn't been allowed to date, they hadn't been allowed. And also mommy and daddy were like, you got to go to Bible college to be a nice Christian, you know, boy or girl, whatever this. And some people went in wanting to get married. You had people that got married way too quick and they struggled. They struggled really, really mightily. And unfortunately, those relationships did not work out. And some of them flamed out in some very strange and bizarre ways, actually. And there, there's a dark side to this. There's a dark side to telling people not to date because dating is evil. What you got to look for is you got to look for a spouse immediately. And so people aren't taking it, taking a step back, and like really assessing what it is they're looking for because they're just looking to get married. They just don't want to be alone. They want to get married. And so 
I'm not going to, I don't want to spill any anyone's dirty laundry here, but needless to say, I've seen a lot of relationships that did not work out for these reasons. And yeah, I think that's sad. So it's really sad. So there's another podcast that I started to check out called the angry Christian podcast, which I'm pretty sure there's multiple, but this one was one started by someone in one of the groups I'm in that he just recently started and it's pretty good. It's very open-ended and they have, they have a focused topic but they don't have an editor, so there's a lot of empty space sometimes. Uh, but the show's good enough to listen to. And basically the, the premise is like things that as a Christian can get you mad, but like here's what we can do to grow in wisdom from them. And so it's not the sort of thing where they go on there and they cancel people. It's not the sort of thing where they go on there and they just vent and you're just hearing that. There, there might be some playing around with that because, I mean – Everything we do has the capacity to, you know, go in dangerous directions and it's important to be careful about it. But one of the things he wanted to talk about, I think, was like arrogant pastors, like the thing where like a pastor says like God decrees this and so we do it and that's it. Or God has told me to do this and this and that, which by the way, if a pastor tells like says that and then they tell you something that God wouldn't tell you because it goes against scripture, you got to get out of there. But he found that there was like this, it was a statistic that basically showed that among not early pastors but late pastors it's very easy to for the numbers to grow and the amount of pastors who grow in arrogance later in their ministry which sort of makes sense i mean when you compare it to something like solomon like he was the wisest man to ever exist and then he became absurdly arrogant uh late in his life and so it would make sense that like the struggle of becoming more wise is balancing out basically discernment and actually seeing wisdom as something from the Lord and not something that you just get yourself. And so the reason I mentioned that is that you were mentioning the idea of like, you go into a Bible college and everything feels like this is all God breathed and this is where God needs me to be. Right, and yeah. God also wants me to have a spouse. And I'm curious if this is something that women go through, because I'm sure it's very easy for men to just be like, it is God given to for me to have a spouse, for me to have a wife, because that sounds very much like something that Satan would, or that sin would plague is an ownership of a woman, as opposed to an organic relationship that grows into, you know, a marriage. It sounds like, I, I would assume that this is something that men struggle with more than women, but I don't know. I'm very curious about that now that I think about it. I, you know, I do, I can provide some insight into that. First off, I met, I met, multiple women at the school I went to who said they were only there to meet a man to marry were the only reason they were going to Bible college to get married, which I think for some people, you know, like it is easy to be cynical about that, but to be fair, a good number of them did get married. And, you know, I talked to one person who said like my calling in life is, you know, I really want to support a pastor. I want to be there for him. I want to pray for him. I want to hold him up in ministry. And, you know, that's it. Obviously speaking from my perspective, that's something that's, I can't relate to that. But at the same time, like (laughs) she got married to a man who's a pastor of a fairly large church and they're very successful and they've had multiple children. They seem very happy. So I think there is, I think there is definitely something to be said for a similar kind of mindset of like i'm here to get married god is going to give me a husband you know same that a man would go to bible college and be like god is going to give me a wife now are there negative spins on both of those things absolutely i will say that 
three or four of the most gung ho God's gonna give me a wife people have yet to get married and they're you know in their th- <laughs> they're pushing thirty or in thirties already. But those people came at it from the wrong angle of like, I would say either there's kind of a tint of like, God owes me a wife or yeah. women owe themselves to me almost, you know? Yeah. And I think those people do, I think there's definitely a difference between, you know, I have confidence and I know that the Lord is going to provide in this area of my life. I definitely have a feeling that I'm not meant to to go it alone to be, you know, like Paul and the quote unquote gift of singleness. And I've met people who, will say that they have Christians would call it gift of singleness where um, actually the Dean, the Dean of the college I went to, he is, you know, in his, I think he's now in his sixties and he's single. And he said on multiple occasions, like I'm not called to be married. I am called to run this school. I'm called to serve the Lord in this way. And he has, I would say accurately assessed that his, both his ability to do that to his best, to his best would be hindered by being married. And also he would never be able to give, a wife the attention that she needs and to love and care for her the way he, that he needs given how much work he does at one point he was both the president and dean of academics at the school so there's no way that he could do all those things and be the husband that you need to be if you're going to be a husband so i same time I, I i would say that i've met a good number of now lonely women who unfortunately i would say some of them actually become kind of bitter about it where they did not meet their betrothed at the school i for people who might be listening to this and scratching their heads a little bit i think it's also important to mention that this this was a pentecostal bible college where there are a lot of things that are feeling space and there is a lot of sense of if you pray hard enough god will give it to you kind of thinking i don't know if even consciously that can sort of be there but definitely subconsciously there is some of that of like as long as i have enough faith god will give me this thing and you know i i, I would tend to believe that if you want to get married, you don't, you got to do something other than just sit in your room and pray. You got to get out there. got to start saying hi to people, you know, that whole thing in acts where the boat starts, they're, they're praying that the Lord's going to take care of them. And then a storm comes and the boat starts sinking. And so the sailors want to jump out. And I, I believe it's Paul. And he's like, no, don't let them jump out. We need them to take care of the boat. We need them <laughs> to steer the boat. And so like, yeah, you should pray. But also, you should be practical. And it's not as though you're depending on the practicality. It's the Lord has put those people who can sail to make sure the boat stays right. God, the Lord can do miraculous things. That's totally Absolutely. Fair, Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. If you're going 30 and you're single and you could you could just have a woman show up and who loves you and your heart will be changed to love her the way she deserves to be loved. But there's also some practical things where maybe the Lord wants you to be single right now for another purpose. I'm so glad we talked about dating for this episode. That was one <laughs> of the things I wrote down. And then I wrote down, hmm, should we talk about representation in Hollywood? But <laughs> there are plenty of movies yeah. to talk about for that. So that's going to be good. I definitely have a lot of thoughts in this particular subject for various reasons. And I, I don't want people to sit here and think, think that we're discouraging people from you know, leaning on the Lord in this regard. Uh, yeah, yeah. Romance is difficult. Uh, and, you know, the first conversation my, my now wife and I had as friends, the very first conversation we ever had was we were talking about how we both are just done with the idea of ever getting married. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> the, who great. knows what the Lord can do? That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, keep praying. And But I will say that there is something to be said for if my wife and I had not been single for the period that we were single and if we had not been alone for the time that we were alone we would not have become the people that we eventually were when we met 
And so, well, I, a, a good saying that a teacher at my school used to say, which was, when did Eve, when did God create Eve to be put in the garden? And the answer is after Adam had done all the preparation. Sometimes there's something to be said for you need to allow like this period of singleness. You need to be doing the work. You need to be doing the preparation. You need to be, be, be like, I don't want to say let God form you because I, I, God can do what he wants regardless of whether you get information. But, you know, to to do the preparation and to become the person that you that you are meant meant to be, that God has made you to be when the time comes to meet that other person. I think if if you're so focused to get married, I don't think you get ready to marry is an easy way to gauge that because there's a lot of other stuff to that goes into it. So yeah, the 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 fact that you said like some people go to Bible college just to get married, like apart from the fact that like yeah, statistically your chance of meeting a good Christian person that there is higher than anywhere else. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. Why would you spend that much money just to get married when your wedding is going to cost all that debt? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to spend on an expensive wedding, they'll just put you further in debt. You know, and really test your your marriage. Oh man, we could probably cut it off right there. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good point. Do you think it? Do you think it's a good, it's a good movie though? It's a good movie. It is. It's on yeah, Netflix. Not like you got anything else to do right now. Yeah. People, so. Just watch to all the boys I have loved before. It is very fun. <laughs> it is very goofy. Very clever. Very good looking movie. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay inside. Six feet apart. Stock up that toilet paper. Just, yeah. Just please, please stay home. Just please. I don't want to, I don't want to have to see you at work. Yes. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen To All the Boys I've Loved Before, what did you think of it? Do you like its creative fingerprint, or are teen dramas and romantic comedies extremely boring for you? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below, or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts in the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once a month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss or review on the podcast, just like this one. You also gain access to the Sindoc pre-show a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. And last but not least, Cinematic Doctrine's mailbag is now open. As long as you're following us on any of our social media, from Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or are part of the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, you can submit questions or comments for Daniel and I to chew on in each monthly movie news episode. Either find the specified mailbag post or send us a direct message through our social media. Or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com with the header reading mailbag. Don't be afraid to submit whatever you want to the mailbag, and we'll be sure to pick the best questions and comments to talk about each month. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier. Thank you so much, Mom and Dad. You're the best. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk.
So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.